This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everybody. Hope you've had a fantastic week so far. Um, you're joining me back on the Twilight Show on Tuesday. Uh, I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Jawad Lawara, who I shall introduce shortly, but we'll be talking about the merits of both uh, private and state schools, about uh, just education in general at the moment, really. So that's all to come on the show, Tuesday Twilight this Show. This is Teachers ben Talk Thomas. Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. I was trying to do one of those um, fancy kind of fade downs with the sound, but it wasn't um, wasn't going to play ball. I was too clumsy with my fingers. Um, good evening, everybody. Hope you're all good and are ready for another show with me, Ben Thomas, as your host. Um, we're going to be live for the next hour and a half or so, give or take, uh, with a little bit of news in between. Um, and I'm joined today by someone who is a very, very good friend of mine. I've known him for a number of years, um, luckily for me, sadly for him. But he's also a teacher. How good is that? So uh, it was it was high tide that I got him on the show <clears throat> uh, to talk all things uh, private education. The coin. So hopefully he is available and ready. I can see him popping up on my screen. Jawad, how are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. You? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, how's your day been? It's been um, full of rehearsals for a performance on Thursday. So. A performance? What kind of performance? We are doing The Wizard of Oz. <gasps> is it big budget? It is quite a big budget, actually, yeah. When we get on to talking about the difference between state and, <laughs> and independent school, yeah, the budget's a little bit bigger. Well, there we go. We've already got a bit of an insight into what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going we're gonna to kind of just, I, I kind of, um, a little bit like my mum last week, I kind of sent him uh, sort of a rough agenda of what we're going to talk about. But anyone who's listened to my show, you know that I tend to go off on a bit of a tangent, um, depending on what my uh, you know famous guests or semi-famous guests talk about. So we'll have a little chat about um, you know the, the kind of key differences really, and and for for people that have not been on kind of both sides of the fence, that there is you know that there are quite a lot of differences for, for me personally i've i've always been in state schools uh, it's just a kind of a decision that i've made and, and kind of where the jobs have been really but you know jared has as he'll talk about in a minute kind of has had quite a you know a long career so far um still going by all accounts still going and um you know he'll, he'll be able to give us a bit more information about the, the differences really but you know there is there's so much in the media at the moment about budgets about lack of money um <clears throat> you know we talk a, a very small amount about you know some of the unrest that's going on in schools up and down the country later on but you know Jared in terms of your experiences can you give us kind of a, a rough overview of of where you've been what you've been doing and, and kind of how you've ended up sort of where you are now really yeah um it, it scares me a little bit when you say it's been a long a long career that makes <laughs> me feel old um but yeah when you think I've been teaching 17 and a half years now um so yeah, a long, a long time. Um, so I started in in a state school, actually the primary school that I went to as a pupil, um, 
and ended up working with some of the staff or all of the staff that taught me when I was um, in junior school. Um, and I stayed at the same school for almost 10 years, I think it was, um, and kind of got to a point in that job where I'd gone as far as I was going to get and um, I needed a change. I needed just a way out. You can get a bit too a bit too comfortable at times, I think. Um, so was that because because of the just to jump in there was that because of the the lack of <clears throat> career progression in that particular school or was it just that you you'd literally gone I'm done now I've had enough um a bit of both really um the head teacher changed and obviously that changes the whole dynamics of a school and mm. um it wasn't anything personal about the head teacher she was she was lovely has done a really good job there um, but I just got to a point where, where I'd been at that school for four years as a pupil, I had been there on my teaching practice, um, and then 10 years as a teacher, that's quite a big chunk of my life in one place, in one building. Um, so, uh, our former deputy head had taken a headship at a school. So I went and did a two term maternity cover with her in year six as kind of an easy way out. Um, yeah. So that's where I went to next. I think it's always quite good. It's, it's, it goes back to one of those things where it's not what you know, but it's who you know. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to you before about it, but, you know, I, I touched upon it a little bit last week and, and there was a school that I was at kind of after our twins were born and um, I, I was basically just bombed out. <laughs> just like, I, I think, you know, the head there had gone, you're not, I'm not seeing what I need from you. I kind of felt that I wasn't really getting what I needed from the school and kind of, you know, had like, um, same throw my toys out the pram, but I kind of ended up leaving mid year, um, and, and moving to, to kind of the, the school's cluster of, of where I'm now really. But did you, in, in terms of kind of that situation and where you did that maternity cover, was that quite tricky for you to kind of slot in to, to a, a different school? You know, obviously you had, you said you had connections there, but was it, was it a bit of a challenge at that point? It was it was mid mid year as well actually. Um, so I joined in January, so had that had that challenge as well. Um, so the that the head had been the deputy head where I worked first of all, and she probably left about four years after I joined. So she had been at that school quite a while, and then her deputy had been a teacher at the same school as me as well, and had moved there to do a deputy maternity cover so I knew the head and deputy really really well they were really good friends so I never felt kind of uncomfortable with it it, it, it wasn't difficult to fit in the staff were great um, it was a three form entry school I was working in a two form entry school before mm. so that was a change and it was in a, a strange area with a real mix of kind of um, pupil demographics some from relatively wealthy backgrounds some from quite deprived areas um, so that was a challenge but I really enjoyed it actually yeah. And you had um you got you obviously got two fantastic children, haven't you? And and kind of yes. in terms of your uh well, fantastic sometimes anyway, <laughs> as yeah. we all feel as dads. But like um in, in terms of where they kind of arrived, were you were you still in kind of state education at that point or had you mm -hmm. made the move to uh to private school by then? I had made the move to private school a couple okay. of years before they came along. Um so how did that, so obviously going from a, a state school to a private school, you know, my understanding is it's not a huge jump particularly, but, you know, for example, if I'm uh, keeping an eye on, on 
you know, jobs that are, are going on around me. And, and I'm not, if, if my head teacher is listening or anyone from my school is listening, um, unfortunately for you, I'm not planning on leaving anytime soon. But, you know, the jobs that I see are all connected to state schools. So how did, how did you, first of all, how did you find the job? And, and secondly, what was the process, you know, in terms of, of kind of interviewing for that and kind of making the transition over to, to private education? So after the two-term maternity job, obviously halfway through that, I knew I had to start looking for a job. So I um, actually moved to another state school um, and um, accepted a job. And um, over the summer holidays, before I started this job, again, an ex-colleague who works at the independent school that I'm at now um, messaged me and said, there's, there's a year six job going here. You should apply. And I was like, oh, I've just taken a job in another school. Kind of, it's just the wrong time. If it had been two months earlier, it would have been fine. Yeah. Um, so I started at this other school. And within about two days, I knew that it wasn't the school for me. And I think, <laughs> it's honestly, it's crazy how quickly that happens, isn't it? Like, yeah. you just know, like almost you kind of, you, you almost get by with the, <clears throat> you know, the tour and meeting the staff and stuff and the kids are great. And then you go, actually, do you know what? I've accepted the job and there's just that feeling. And obviously two days is is pretty big, isn't it? I, I would probably argue it was more like one day because on, on the first day in year six, um, I went in and they said, yeah, we give the year sixes a spelling test. And I was like, okay, first day back half summer, fine. Yes. And it was all the year five and six statutory words. I think it was about 120 word spelling test on the first day back after the summer. Um, hello, can you hear me still? I'm not yeah, sure yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we did the spelling test and I can remember the children saying, oh, we nearly finished. And I was like, we've still got 60 words left to do. And I can remember the groans from the children. I was like, if this is what I'm going to be forced to do and how I'm going to treat this class, then it's not yeah. the school for me. So got in touch with the independent school and said, actually, I'll come for an interview. Um, and obviously, <laughs> maybe not the most professional thing to do, but having only been there about a week, I had to go for an interview. So yeah, um, yeah. had to um, tell a few white lies to get out. Um, so came for the interview and um, about two days after the interview, got a phone call to say that I'd got the job to start in the January. So it was, wasn't the greatest thing I've ever done, but for my own personal sanity and well-being, I just thought I, I don't think I can stay at this school any longer. So I had to hand in, in my notice about four weeks after starting. <laughs> Um, but do you know what I think? In the most awkward fact, conversation I've ever had with with anybody, um, and I can remember the conversation with the head teacher so clearly. And she said, um, "Have you had an interview?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she obviously worked out. Then it was the day that I had phoned in sick, and yeah, it didn't go down very well. And I I completely get that, but actually, I kind of I'm not a selfish person, and it was maybe mm -hmm. the the first time in my life that I'd really thought about what I need needed to do for my own well-being and and happiness. For the family as well, I guess. I mean, do you know what? Yeah. I've, I've been on, on both sides of that and I think it, it is best for everyone if you're kind of up front with it. And I don't, I don't, you know, what you've described to me, yeah, of course it's not. It, you know, if you were going to pick a kind of a recruitment handbook, that wouldn't be in there. But yeah. in terms of you having that conversation saying, look, you know, I'm, I'm what, a month into this job and I know it's not going to be for me sort of thing. 
Um, and, and once you know you're leaving, it kind of, it changes your mindset a bit. I think you kind of relax a little bit or, or I have in those situations <clears throat> and kind of and, you, drop your guard down a little bit, I guess. It's, it's funny because I built a really great relationship with the pupils. The class were absolutely wonderful. Um, uh, got on really well with the staff, considering I was I was only there for a term. Um, I'm still in touch with two or three of them now as well and see them regularly. Um, so it wasn't the school as a whole, it was just maybe the way the school was run and the kind of the SATs, the complete SATs focus just didn't yeah. well with me. Um, and and just, just for context, give us the year that that was in terms of, you know, you joining that school and the SATs focus and everything else. What year was that? 2016 it must have been <clears throat> okay so spoiler alert it's not got any better yeah yeah <laughs> it's, yeah it's yeah, yeah. It's, you know i we, you know we're going to talk about this in a bit more detail and, and obviously that is one of the key you know from, from my understanding of it is one of the key differences and obviously you'll shed a bit more light on it later on but you know it, it's how it's how state schools manage that expectation of sats and yes. everyone involved with it and how they kind of prepare the children or or not prepare the children in some cases but you know if that if you're kind of rocking into a class uh on day one year six class and and the school's already going right that's this that's that that for me that would be major major concerns because as yeah. you said and you alluded to straight away it's about relationships isn't it yeah yeah completely and the previous school that i stayed in for 10 years i did the first two years in year five and then the next eight years in year six and um i felt the head and the deputy completely trusted what we were doing in year six mm. so there was never a drive from them they trusted their staff to kind of cover the syllabus that needed to be covered to prepare the, the children for the sats not to kind of put too much pressure on the children um so i kind of went from that quite a relaxed kind of sats atmosphere where there was a focus and we worked hard towards it, but it wasn't the be all and end all of year six life to this other school where, where, yeah, on that first day, kind of you're drumming it into the children and it just didn't sit, sit right with me at all. So you obviously made the transition in, in that January, so January 2017, my maths is right, um, yeah. to the, the independent, the, I keep calling yeah. it private, but we'll call it an independent school because that's what it is. Um, and, and you're still there now, right? Yeah, I'm still there now, but it, it wasn't a kind of conscious decision to move to an independent school. I didn't, I had never applied for a job at an independent school. It had never really even crossed my mind. Um, and the kind of, like you said, did I look for the job? But the job kind of found me because if it hadn't been for my friend who works here, I would never have known about about the job. It wasn't anything that, that had been on my radar. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was never, oh, I need to go and, see what it's like in an, in an independent school um so before we get into kind of the nitty-gritty of the <clears throat> you know differences and, and what it's like on on that side and I, you know if if you're if you're listening to this and you work at a private school or independent school i don't have any views on whether people should work there or not like it's not the, the whole point of this podcast is to kind of share the the experiences of someone who's done both so it's not there's no hidden agenda before people start going oh well he's he's saying this side and that side and all the rest of it that's that's definitely not the case um we're just you know kind of learning from from jared who's, who's been on on both sides of it so in terms of, of of where you are now what is your kind of talk to us a little bit about your day-to-day -day job uh talk to us about the kind of um the, the setup of the school really because a lot of people won't know 
yeah. there's kind of different elements to to the school you work at basically yeah so it's quite a unique school we're a diamond school um all right don't show off yeah which means yeah <laughs> yeah um which means we um the pupils are joined at nursery mixed boys and girls okay. um and then we separate in reception all the way up to year 11 and then um our sixth form the boys and girls come back together um and we're across three different sites so one site is the senior boys so from year seven to year 11 another site is junior boys from reception to year six and then on my site we have the joint nursery and then girls all the way through from reception to year 11 and then our sixth form is on our site as well um okay yeah and so what, and so i guess <clears throat> in terms of that the transitions in theory should be absolutely seamless right you know if you're moving from foundation to you know, to, to middle and then middle to, to kind of senior is, is it, is it quite easy to run a transitions? And I suppose, you know, obviously I know you're on three sites, but do you, do you mix in terms of staff bases? So obviously, you know, are you one big staff body or is it quite clear that there's not a divide as in like a negative divide, but like, is it clear that you kind of run insets and staff meetings within each kind of pocket, I guess? Yeah, so in set days, um, we always come together at the beginning of the school year and at the end of the school year. Other in set days, it varies really. Sometimes we do stuff with the senior staff. Sometimes the junior girls and the junior boys staff come come together as one. And I would say in my six years of being here, one of the biggest changes has been that kind of interaction between the sites has got better. And we would we were just um, told last week that from September, uh, the junior girls, my my team here, will be moving to the junior boys site. So there'll be a slight change in that all the juniors are going to be on one on one site, which is okay. a really exciting op um, opportunity. Um, we do have some staff that cross sites. So we have a few specialist teachers, our music teacher, language teachers, they teach the junior boys and the junior girls. Okay. Um, so there is <clears throat> there is an element of sharing some staff. Yes. And I, I guess really in terms of in terms of how that's managed, is there you know, you know obviously using your, your kind of early example of, of not having an opportunity to, to progress in terms of careers. You know, you've you've been there for what, six years now? Six, six and a bit now. years. Yeah. Um in that time that you've been kind of at your current school, would you would you say that there's been you know more opportunities available to you whether you've taken them or not if that makes sense yeah so so the school has really evolved in in those six years when i first joined it was quite a separate junior boys and junior girls okay. team so the junior boys had a head teacher the junior girls had a head teacher deputies on both sides um and then over the last few years that's changed slightly so our head at junior girls has taken on the role of junior head completely over both yes. sides and then um, the junior girls deputy has taken on the deputy role over both sites overseeing curriculum matters. Um, and then for me personally, there's been really good progression from um, joining as a class teacher, I think with the responsibility for maths maybe to start with. Um, and then 
How funny uh, is it, by the way, that when you join a school, you just get lumped with, yeah, we've got a gap here, like you can quack on and do gap, it. Yeah, and then you just yeah. forget where you started from. I, like, started, I genuinely I, can't remember what I started as. Um, so joined as a class teacher, I think maybe with responsibility for maths, um, or took that on in September. And then two, two years ago, got the role of assistant head. Mm-hmm. And then because there was a slight change in the structure last year, I'm now deputy head for the junior girls site. So okay. basically there's quite a number of occasions where the head and deputy are both on the other side. So kind of the responsibility falls on me here. So from a personal point of view, the progression has been really, really good um, and supportive and positive. Yeah. And obviously it's not as simplistic as, oh, here's a job and you go for it. Like, obviously you're good at what you do. Like, you know, we, we've talked about it before and we often have that joke about who works hardest, but like, you know, <laughs> being being the job that we do and, and, and kind of the way that it works and stuff is, as anyone knows, you know, on, on SLT or even kind of middle leaders, it's, it wherever you are, it's always going to be a demanding job, really. Um, so in terms of, of your kind of deputy headship, um, what kind of how many how many classes are kind of you, I say responsible for, but kind of fall under your, you know, if you're if you're head for the day or whatever, how many how many how many classes have you got kind of within the junior girls and kind of in terms of the the because you, you teach class as well right which i, I think teach is class really, as well, yeah you know that yeah. that's quite that's a really really hard job and i said to someone at our school the other week you know being a middle leader or being on slt and having a full-time class responsibility is is the hardest it gets like it's the hardest for me i've i've ever worked i think um yeah. not that i don't work hard now i do i do work hard but you know in terms of your your day-to-day responsibilities and and, and roles just kind of talk talk us through those a little bit yeah, so we are in on the junior girls site. We're one form entry. However, this year we had enough to split year six. So we've actually got two year six classes for the first time ever, I think, okay. on, on the girls site. So I've got one class, someone else has got the other class. So there's eight classes in the junior girls. Um, um, and in terms of my kind of role, so basically we have a five one-hour lessons a day. So over the week, 25 hours, I'm in class for 13 hours, I think, and then out of class for 12. Okay. Um, so about, kind of well, about 50-50. Yeah, about 50-50. And when when I went for the job last mm-hmm. last summer, one of the things I didn't want to lose was that class responsibility. I, mm-hmm. I think there might come a point in the future where I'm ready to step away from the class responsibility, but it wasn't quite at that moment. So kind of for me, if it had been out of class completely, I'm not sure I would have been happy to step away from that class responsibility. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is a funny one. You know, I've I've, I've kind of in, in my role, a little bit similar to you, I was assistant head out of class and then we had a bit of a, a shuffle around in terms of leadership um, and, and, you know, like you, I'm kind of deputy head now of, of our school. But, you know, once you lose that, I said, is, is lose the right word? Probably not. But that kind of that day to day teaching, you know, <laughs> going in and, and doing a little bit of leadership cover that I do every week and, and kind of teaching a bit of PE here and there. It is so different to just having that kind of constant relationship with with one class that's your responsibility and kind of your sort of domain, if that makes sense. And yeah. it's yeah. it's it's funny how, you know, once you step away from the class, kind of kids see you slightly differently and you know maybe that's just me i don't know but it, it it's quite it's quite a big thing to go from teaching a class for sort of 13 years and then yeah. just go right i'm not i don't have to set up a classroom this september so yeah i kind of i completely get what you're saying really yeah um, and 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 with 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 that i guess in a state school that would 
come under a job share, wouldn't it almost, because you're, you're mm. out of class half the time. But because we have quite a few specialist teachers here, um, actually, all the lessons that I don't teach are covered by specialist teachers. So we've got a specialist mm. for science, for music, for art, for drama. So, so, so I'm still the kind of sole focus as a class teacher that, that, that parents contact and the other lessons. So I basically teach English and maths and then your kind of topic lessons, history, geography lessons. Um, okay. I was going to ask you a really um, closed question in terms of yes or no answer, but we all know that that's a cop out in teaching. So I'm going to, I'm going to save that for the end. So in terms of your, the, the way that you you kind of you, you do your job now and the kind of uh the expectations that are on you and everything else just just talk a little bit around kind of the the assessment procedure or lack of assessment procedure but also kind of the the general you know if, if you were going to do a pitch for an independent school kind of what what would be the positives and what things would you say in terms of the differences between that and and you know what you understand to be state schools currently so six years it feels like a longer period of time to be honest with you um mm. but i would say the biggest the biggest difference and it's a really obvious one is the class sizes um okay How I, you got any class so ours range so our biggest class is 21 um in year four which is kind of one over what, what we would normally offer um and then my class currently is 15. 15 are you joking 15. um the smallest i've had the biggest i've had is 21 as well and then the smallest i had was a couple of years ago um maybe in the second kind of round of covid um was 13. um mm. um so the, the the biggest difference is that and having been here for six years now i genuinely can't imagine going back into a class of 30. <laughs> it, it, it it kind of it, like i would obviously cope if i had to but but it's hard to imagine going back to that because of the kind of the attention you can give the 15 or the 16 children that you, that you have in your class. Um, and it's just like half the marking basically, isn't it? That's, that's the biggest workload for a teacher. Most of them is marking. So I have half the marking that someone working in the state school has. Um, okay. So that I, I would say the, the class sizes are the most noticeable difference. Um, um, I think we obviously aren't working towards SATS tests. Um, we do we do in-cast tests at the start of the year, um, from year one upwards up to year six. Um, the year five children do CAPS tests just after Christmas, and then you, year one to year six do progress tests in English and progress tests in maths. Um, okay. <clears throat> would that be a kind of a state version of like um and i'm not advertising for them at all got no opinion on them but uh puma and pira style tests probably similar yeah, yeah yeah and it gives us a standardized score obviously it lets us track the pupils through their time here with us um and it's not it's not a perfect test but we, we struggle to kind of find one that, that is perfect I, I don't think anyone's ever happy with the assessments that they use maybe um but yeah, so so there's no working towards the test. There's no pressure on the children. Um, some of them, some of them in year six do do the eleven plus because of the area that that we're in. But they do that outside of school, and obviously isn't something that we teach teach to. Do you? I mean, obviously having 
you know, prepared classes for SATs in the past, you know, that they haven't really changed in the, in the time that you've been teaching. They're still the same. Um, it, the, you know, the context of the questions has, has changed ever so slightly. But, you know, do you do you find that, and I suppose this is a slightly simplistic question, because the children are not being prepared for a specific test, whether that's right or wrong is is not up for debate at the moment. It's just the reality of the situation. Do you do you find that their behaviours change as a result? So if you think back to your kind of, you know, your previous state school year six classes, yeah. you know, around sort of you know March April time, it, it starts to get what we call crunch time, doesn't it? Do you, yeah. do you find that? you know, that there is a difference in behaviours. And I know we're talking about different areas in terms of where you worked and, and we'll come on to kind of the, <clears throat> the, you know, the outside expectations later on. But have you noticed that in your years of teaching? So it's really hard actually to kind of, to answer that properly because I've only worked in mixed state schools and now I have a girls class. Generally, I, I would say in my six years here, the the behaviour issues haven't ever been been a problem for me. There's n- yeah. the, the girls are so well behaved, so respectful, and I think I think what not doing the sets gives us is that freedom not to have to drop an art lesson to do an extra English lesson or drop something that they enjoy. So they still the curriculum stays rounded for the whole for the whole year. And obviously, we all know that sometimes in some in some in some state schools, towards that times at March and April time, um, other subjects might get dropped in favour of an extra math lesson or an extra science lesson, or children are pulled out for booster groups. We don't really feel we have we have to do that here. So I'd say they still get the full curriculum, which obviously does help behaviour if it was an issue. I mean, I, I, I guess going back to the very first thing you said to me when I asked you about your day about the Wizard of Oz, like there is absolutely no way, and unless they are really, really chill about the whole thing. And again, this is this is symptom of a bigger problem. But you know, there's absolutely no way that a state school would go, yeah, that's fine. You just crack on for a couple of weeks doing a, a mid year production oh, with a year yeah, six class. Like yeah. it just it just wouldn't happen, would it? No, you no, know, no, and and. We kind of, because we have to do a production on the girls' site and a production on the boys' site, the boys do it in May. So kind of we either do ours before Christmas or now, and before Christmas just never, ever work because of all the Christmas okay. things that go on. So we kind of moved it a couple, about three years, three or four years ago to to now. But yeah, like you say, this this half term, we've obviously got the production this week, and then the year six also go on a PGL trip in a couple of weeks' time. Mm. Um, and again, in a in a state school, March and April, that would that just wouldn't happen. I mean, some state schools they they do all that with year six at the start of the year, don't they? Yeah. <clears throat> Not necessarily productions, but I've heard of you know the first week or two weeks or whatever going on residential to kind of particularly if the class have mixed up, they kind of bond the classes together and stuff. But I think most people you know tend to tend to shift their residentials if they're doing them for year six towards the end of the the academic year don't they really um, so the kind of the, the kind of picture that you're painting is that you know independent private schools are absolutely idyllic places to work where you walk in every day and and it's like you know freshly baked goods on your desk and you've got 15 yeah. kids that are like amazingly well behaved and stuff like that is and that is that the reality the reality here is generally it is it is that i i can't i can't kind of i i enjoy coming into work every day i have a bit of a commute um 
I live in Reading. Um, I have about a 40-minute commute in the evenings, a little bit less, less, less in the mornings. And obviously in teaching, you don't have to have a commute. You can find a school close to you. I could find a school two minutes away from me. However, I think happiness in this job comes above anything else. So for me, the journey, the commute doesn't matter because I come in every day. I work with really amazing people. We are, we are such a close team. Um, the girls in my class are brilliant. The parents are extremely supportive. So it is, it is kind of a happy, a happy life. And I know that in other schools, in other in, in independent schools, it's not always like that. And obviously in, in state, state schools, it's not always like that either. But um, from a personal point of view, I feel extremely lucky because I enjoy coming into work. Um, I enjoy the people yeah. that I work with. I enjoy the children that I teach. I mean, bit of context, you know, Joe, I've mentioned he, he lived in Reading, which is obviously the greatest place on earth to live, but he, he doesn't live a million miles from where I live. And and actually, if we drew, if we kind of drew a map of, of where he lives, it, I think probably the nearest school would, would probably be the school I currently work at, really. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm a little yeah. bit further out west of, of Reading. I don't know if, you know, you're probably, if people are listening, they're probably not Googling the map of Reading, but... I'm kind of further out west than, than he is just a little bit. So I live far enough away for it to be local, but not too local, if that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, if Jow was going to look at it, I mean, there's there's one, there's one almost opposite you, isn't there, on the other side yeah, of the road? Yeah, that's where my, yeah, yeah. My son goes there. Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't choose us. Don't worry about it. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, that is because I've done the journey pretty much, what you're describing. You know, I, I worked in in Bracknell so I was commuting from sort of West Redding to, to Bracknell every day and yeah. again if you're familiar with with geography that should take you what half an hour 35 minutes oh, yeah 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 Sometimes it's taking me two hours and and I as much as I love that school it just killed me like it absolutely it was just soul destroying but I, I it's really really positive that you're saying look I love this job I'm gonna commute as long as it takes to get there that's that's a real positive um you know sign of things really yeah it really um, is we're gonna. I'm gonna play a little message from our sponsors, and then we're gonna come back and talk about some of the, um, you know, the, not the negative stuff. That's that's not quite right. But the kind of challenges that that independent schools and, and private schools face, and, and we're gonna talk a little bit about the differences in workload as well. So, uh, stay tuned, and we'll be back in just a few moments. This show is brought to you in partnership with Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! Happy reading indeed. That was a message from John Cat, who very kindly sponsor our station currently. Uh, and if you're interested in any sponsorship at all, by all means, get in touch with the radio station. The executive team uh, are always looking to get new sponsors in, um, not to replace the ones we've got because they're fantastic as well, but just to generate a little bit more income so that we can carry on doing the fantastic things that, that we're all doing for the um for the site i say all of us everyone else except me i'm not going to sit here and go yeah everything's amazing for me because you know obviously that would be very very crass wouldn't it um talking about amazing things so you've you've kind of painted this picture that that where you work currently is is absolutely fantastic you're loving it um what you know a school is a school and and kids are kids and the challenges that you face are probably similar in terms of the uh, the pupils attending to to kind of the same sort of stuff that um, 
that our kids would face in a, in a slightly different economic yeah. environment, right? Yeah. So yeah. we're going to be really specific with you and talk about um, safeguarding and kind of send workload. Do you do you find that there are still quite a high volume of those particular elements of of school life? Is it the same? Is it less kind of, you know, I know we're obviously going off on, on previous comparisons to where you've worked already, but what's your kind of general vibe with those things at your school currently? I think um, our safeguarding culture here is as strong as I've seen in any previous schools that I've worked in, if not, if not stronger, actually. We have regular safeguarding training and it is kind of drilled into us that just because some of these children might be well off or have privileged backgrounds it doesn't mean we don't have safeguarding issues and that is drilled into us all the time just because we work where we work it doesn't mean those issues aren't aren't here um so from that from that point of view it's, it would be no different from from other schools where like like i said the culture is really good we know we can talk to our dsl about about anything if anything comes up um and they will respond appropriately and support us through it um which again yeah. is another positive. And yeah, because we're on different sites, there's different DSLs on each site, but there's always somebody available. I mean, big love for DSLs. If you're if you're listening to this and you haven't checked in on your DSL recently, go and get them a croissant, go and get them a coffee, say how you're doing, because it's uh it's a lonely job sometimes, let yeah. me tell you, especially if you work in um in some interesting areas, put it that way. So I, I, I guess obviously the reporting would, would be the same. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know we're not i'm not going to kind of share specific details about you know the fees or the membership to the schools or whatever because that's for people to, to you know to go and find out themselves but actually you know do you do you find that yeah okay the pressure's off uh from sats we'll talk a little bit about kind of external bodies effectively analyzing or, or reviewing in terms of offset what what you guys do but yeah. do you do you find that if if people are paying X amount of time for their child to go, do you feel like you're more accountable to the parents than you were in, say, a state school? Yeah, I would say I would say, one hundred percent that is is the case. Um, but again, don't want to paint this this rosy picture. In my mm. time here, one of the things I have enjoyed is building those relationships with the parents as well, um, and kind of making them clear that this is a team effort that we need your support at home with doing 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 things at home with your children. So again, kind of the the parental pressure is there, and but sometimes it can be seen as a negative. But but here for me, it's not been it's not been a negative. It was one of the things that that when I started here, people said, "Oh, you're going to have parents on you all all of the time." But I think if you're open with them, and and you encourage their support and and their input um you might have to give more time to yeah. meetings if there's sen issues or, or anything like that but but that's part and parcel of the job and like you say they are paying their fees um but i can see how maybe in some other areas it can be quite a negative i, th I think i think the 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 image of independent schools before i started anyway that i had was all the children are going to be well off. They're all going to come from really, really privileged backgrounds. That's just the way it is in independent schools. But actually coming here, um, I know of, of families that make quite big sacrifices to send their children here. They don't yeah, have absolutely. nice cars. They don't have family holidays regularly um, because they haven't got that money. They choose to put their money into their child's 
education for one reason or another. Um, so, so in in that respect, it, it, it maybe is different to the picture I had in my head before I joined. But I, I guess that comes from culture, right? Because you know, my my kind of slightly naive perception of it is that <clears throat> you know they're paying X amount. You know, they, as you say, they're, they're sacrificing quite a lot. Um, you know, financially and, and economically to be able to send their children to, to the school you work at. You know, my, my perception is always like, well, you're not measured by SATs, you're not measured by Ofsted, um, although we'll, we'll talk about that later on in terms of what that actually aligns to in in independent sector. But like if, if a child is, is failing, I, in my head, I've got these like horrendous images of like the parents banging down the door and going, it's basically your fault because they're not making enough progress or they're lacking in certain areas or whatever and and what you're saying is in in your experience that that's just not the case is it no no not I, again from my own from my own personal point of view as the class teacher that's not been the case and then from a, de- a deputy's point of view starting this this september um again that that's not what i've seen and some some might question more which is absolutely their their choice um we're quite open with our curriculum and the things we do um we have pe- have workshops for parents um every every term so like i said we we've we work really hard at building those relationships with the parents um mm. and i'm not sure how it works in state schools but in the previous state schools i worked in i never parents never had my email address my work email address it just wasn't something that the schools chose chose to do so any communication went through the office and through us. However, in this school, the parents have our email addresses, so they can contact us, they can email us. And again, it's not been a problem at all. In fact, it's been quite a positive thing because it works both ways. I can email them if there's, if there's an issue, but they mm. can also email me if there's any any problems or any, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I read, I can't remember where it was, and I, if, if <laughs> by some freak of nature, the the person who wrote it is listen, I do apologise because this this was not, you know, it's nothing to do with me, but I read it somewhere. Might have been the eye paper, I don't know. But basically they were saying that there was a, a study on this school <clears throat> and they were saying that since COVID, the, the parent engagement has really dropped off. Now, obviously that, that could well be specific to the school that was being... Um, you know, focused on analyzed, but do do you overall, you know, forget about the pandemic, just part of that for a minute. Do yeah. you find that, you know, do you, you get good buy-in, pardon the pun, with, with parents and carers at your school? Is it, because you mentioned you have workshops and I guess, you know, a lot of schools up and down the country have, have, have really thought about how they're going to engage parents, you know, now in terms of how education looks kind of post pandemic, but do you get, do you get a lot of buy-in from, from your parents in terms of engagement, you know, obviously you mentioned the show, we've, we've referred back to the show, but kind of, are they fully invested again, <laughs> pardon the pun, because we're not talking about money, but you know, kind of the way they are with their, their children's education. Um, the parental workshops, again, having worked in previous schools and run them in previous schools, the turnout is never what you hope for. And here is no, no different whatsoever. Um, we did one recently and, it was offered to the boys and the girls' parents, so over two hundred and fifty children on both sites, I think. Um, and yeah, the turnout was really, really low. So you yeah, weren't running that it, kind were you? Of thing. Pardon? You weren't running it, were you? 
I wasn't running it. I was here, but I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't running it. Yeah, they saw my name and thought, nah, it's okay. Um, yeah, leave um, Yeah. Um, so the turnout for that kind of thing is never is never great. Um, for the shows and the productions, yeah, we get big big crowds. We had we had a dance show um, in January actually, um, which was for the afternoon performance was reception to year six, and then the evening performance was year five. To year ten, I think it was, um, and for the afternoon one, we had over two hundred parents in the in the hall, which was a really good turnout. Um, and it literally to capacity, we couldn't have fitted anyone anyone else in. I mean, it's, it's interesting because you know I, I read that article, and that's that's almost the complete opposite to to what we're experiencing as a as a state school at the moment. I mean, I, I think probably we're offering a lot more than we did that pre-pandemic or pre-COVID or pre-lockdown or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, we've, we found that there's been a lot more buy-in from our parents. So it was just quite an interesting thing. I just thought actually I'd ask you that because, you know, you expect, or, you know, again, naively, I just expect that these parents would just drop of a hat and, and turn up and do whatever, but actually they've all got jobs, they've all got careers. Yeah. Yeah. Same as any other parent or carer, I guess, really. And I think, I think, I think, there's a number of our pupils where where both parents do work and do work quite quite long hours. So we 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 have have wraparound care from half seven until six six o'clock, and there's pupils there every every day um, where both both parents there's pupils there every day where both parents have have to work. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing that that we do in year six is in the summer term we invite parents in to talk to the children about their careers or their career journey or anything and we okay. always get lots of parents offering to come in and do that and it's been absolutely fa- it's been absolutely fascinating um, and the children have really really enjoyed it so we've heard from all sorts of people from all sorts of careers um yeah so from, from that side of it the parents are always willing to give up something as well I mean, I guess the same with any school, the the goal is really to kind of raise aspirations and go, look, you know, this is what I do. I mean, you know, I talked to someone the other day about it and I said, look, um, oh, yeah, she's, you know, someone at our school is a hairdresser. And I said, how cool would it be if (laughs) health and safety permitting, but you could, you know, you could cut a member of staff's hair in front of them and go, this is this is how it happens sort of thing. So just to give them that exposure would be like amazing because they go, okay, well, that's an aspiration I could have or you know, you get get anyone in in terms of these jobs that are, are kind of are so important to to society in general. Yeah. Um, and kind of modelling that behaviour, and I guess what what you guys have, and again, this this could be naive. It's kind of the word of the day for me at the moment. I've learned a new one, but you know, I, I guess because of the economic background and and the kind of the the financial power that you need to attend your school, do you have? Do you have a range of of kind of parents that have aspirational careers or or kind of a varied selection of careers in terms of what they do and how they present that to the kids? Yeah, a really a really varied selection, and it's the ones that 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 started off working in a fast food restaurant and have worked so hard to to get to where they are. I think again, I think one of the messages I get I try to put across to the class sometimes is that their parents have put them in this in this position where they come to an, to an independent school where there's small classes. I said, but they've all had to work hard to be able to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when the parents come in and talk about their journey more than the job that they currently do, I think the girls always find that really, really fascinating how, how much hard work has gone into establishing yourself in any, in any industry. 
Um, and one, um, one we had in last, last summer, who's actually um, the husband of somebody who works here. He works for Apple Music and um, it, he spoke about within the music industry, the, the number of different jobs you can do. And I don't think it's anything that maybe at this age they would even start, start thinking about, but you could see something and, oh, I never thought of that. I always thought if you work in the music, music industry, you've got to be a singer or, or whatever. So, so actually it's just opening up that kind of, that thought, that thought process, but above all else, like trying to establish in them how hard you have to work to kind of get get somewhere, no matter what you want to do in life. Hard, mm. It comes down to how hard. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I guess that that is, you know, that is the key thing, isn't it? Because ultimately the role of a teacher, whether you're in, you know, an independent or state school or you work in nursery or you work in uh, sixth form or whatever, is always to to be the best role model you can and kind of raise the aspirations of those children and give them the best possible chances, you know, academically and, and to be blunt, you know, socially, emotionally and everything else that, that teachers do. So in that respect, I guess it, it becomes a bit of a moot point if we're talking about the, the kind of the similarities and differences between independent and state schools, because actually that's, that's, that is what a teacher is, right? You know, developing oh. relationships with parents, developing relationships with children, giving them the best possible opportunity to, um, to flourish and be the, you know, our school motto is be the best version, you know, be the best that you can be sort of thing. So that's, you know, that's really good to hear that you've got the kind of parental buy-in, you've got the kind of aspirations going for those girls as well. Yeah. Um, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier about, well, I touched on it a little bit about kind of Ofsted or the lack of Ofsted. Yeah. Are you are you monitored at all? Are you just kind yeah. of like, right, well, you start in September and we'll see you again next September and that's that. Like what's, because obviously one of the one of the key things that's that's driving uh, some teachers out of their profession is, is the pressure of Ofsted. And, yeah. and you guys don't have that, do you? So we have ISI inspections. Okay. So done over a similar time frame. Um, so we had one just after half term in October, maybe just before half term. I can't remember. Um, so they come in for, we get a phone call on the Monday morning and then they come on the Tuesday afternoon. Wow. So it's, it's almost the same time frame. It's almost the same time frame. So we got a phone call on the Monday morning. We were told um by slt that it was happening and then they arrive on the tuesday afternoon i think the tuesday afternoon is more hr stuff right okay and looking through the, the paperwork and stuff like that um, single central record all that sort of yeah, stuff yeah all of that all of, all of that stuff so that's a really busy busy day for the hr team um and then um wednesday and thursday they're in lessons um they're interviewing staff dropping in and i think because we were across three sites and we were a big school, I think we had about twelve inspectors, maybe. Wow. Um, how many? How many? How many people you got on roll? Uh, off the top of my head, I, I literally don't don't know. Rubbish, but, absolute rubbish. All right, I well, know. but but it's going to be more than what three hundred? Across all across all all four sites, it's going to be pushing six or six or seven hundred, I think. Wow. Um, 12 inspectors so 12 inspectors and they can drop in so so there are some allocated to nursery and juniors and then the rest in senior school and the sixth okay. form so um some teachers were observed three times i think 
Um, Three times? Yeah. The whole yeah. lesson or just parts of it? Parts of the lesson. Um, okay, so you're not just going to sit there for the whole hour lesson? Not as the you whole said, hour, no. no. Right, okay, um, I, I had the tough the tough time of being observed in registration, which was kind of, yeah, the easy, the, <laughs> again, yeah, exactly. wasn't observed teaching at all. Um, um, which you kind of, although it's good in a way, you kind of prep yourself up for it and everything's prepared like really well. So you kind of felt a little bit flat afterwards that, that they hadn't come in. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, and then they interview a selection of staff. So on the, on the, on the Monday when they phone up, they will they then have access to the staff list and the pupil list and they will email um, out, we want to speak to these four staff about safeguarding, these four staff about curriculum. Some of it was just junior staff together. Some of it was across all, all four sites together. So I think they went, staff went in in groups of four. Um, okay. Being and then pupils from all, all age groups, they, again, they emailed us, said, well, we want to talk about talk to these four pupils about people development and these four pupils about about this so it, it was an intense two and a half days was was that the first time you personally have had an isi visit the first time yeah we have a compliance visit so they basically come in and it's just they basically just have to tick boxes and say yes the school's compliant in this no the school's not compliant so we did have that but that didn't really that's not a teaching and learning one um the, the full isi inspection that was the first one that I had I had experienced, yeah. And you've have you I say obviously, but <laughs> there are there are teachers out there that have taught for seventeen years and some I would dodge the bullet from Avoided Ofsted, yeah. No but you you had did you you had Ofsted in, in your state school, right? I had had two Ofsteds in the first school that I taught in, yeah. And, so I, and I have to say right? two full inspections, yeah. So this was the first one must be about fifteen years ago. Mm. And then the other one probably nine nine years ago maybe um so maybe not as intense as as they are now with deep dives and things and my my experience from the offsteads was it actually wasn't that much of a negative experience the 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 first one i think i must have just been a class teacher so maybe got observed i can't i can't even even remember but apart from that kind of was untouched by it and then the second one i think i was key stage two leader or something so I think three or four of us went in with one inspector and because there's three or four of you in there if someone doesn't know the answer or someone else just in, yeah. so so actually that 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 safety in numbers was fine and then I think from both both inspections we got we got good which was what the score was at the time and that was fine by everybody really I mean, I, I guess, you know, as as with anything, it, it, it depends on the team, you know. So yeah, <clears> with, with our school, I'm currently at, you know, we were in special measures, you know, the, the lowest that you could be. They kind of almost made like there were special measures and then there was us below that sort of thing. And we had we had a fairly extensive monitoring process from Ofsted. And honestly, like I couldn't, I'm not going to name her, but I I. I learned so much from that kind of our, our main offset liaison during that time. And then, you know, in the, in the final, I said the final offset, there's never a final offset. It's not like, you know, boss level or whatever, but <laughs> you know, when, when she kind of said, look, we're going to turn it into a full section, whatever, I can't remember the number off the top of my head and, and gave us the good, like, it was like, wow. Okay. And, and it was so good to be part of that process with her because she kind of understood the journey that we've been on. So yeah, obviously there are, 
as, as there are with any profession, there are some terrible Ofsted inspectors. There are some completely unreasonable Ofsted inspectors, but there are also some really good ones. Yeah. So it's good to know that, you know, that I say good, that's not quite right. It's, it's a different kind of pressure, I guess, isn't it, with you and the, the ISI, um, yeah. which sounds like some sort of, you know, militant political group, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, so really serious. Like Ofsted's a bit, not not soft, but, you know, Ofsted versus ISI just sounds kind of really serious, doesn't it? Really scientific and, and methodical. Yeah, um, so with the inspection, our, our biggest challenge as a school was um, because of the Equality Act, we choose to separate the children by gender we're not a single sex school so we okay. choose to separate so over the last few years there's been quite a lot of research into it and um basically we have to show that what we offer the girls isn't different to what we offer the boys and vice versa does, mm -hmm. does that make sense because yeah, we are yeah. choosing to separate by a protected characteristic we we had we had to show that the offer was the same for boys and girls um and I think with certain things that that is a challenge because we choose to separate them because we maybe do things differently with the girls and we do with, do with the boys and vice versa. Um, so from, from an inspection point of view, that is what we will build building towards this nil nil detriment. Um, Has that always been the case for your particular score? Is that kind of a new? I say initiative. It's not. It's not radical, is it? But like. You, like was it always been the kind of the method of that school of choice yeah 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 the diamond the diamond system has been right, okay, but yeah, from from uh, from september the reception class that starts in september in juniors is going to be co-ed and then okay. that will that will go through then to that class so by 2029 i think all of the juniors will be co-ed um, i mean it's, it, you know i i guess when when ISI are coming into your school, they've already done their research, like Ofsted yes. do, and they already know that. But what did you feel like? And again, I, this this might just be a really easy question for you. But did you feel that there was that you had to justify, or people had to justify, why you'd kind of split them into boys and girls? Yeah, 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 yeah. There has had to be justification, and there had to, there there had to be like a plan in place for the things that we knew were different. So for example, on our site, we've got a food tech room, which the girls use. On the boys' site, there isn't a food tech room. So at the moment, the boys weren't getting to do the food tech that the girls were doing. So okay. there were, the school have a plan in place that from September, I think um, things, things I mean, will change. So, so we, we literally had to think really carefully about every, every aspect. Um, but in, in 2023, that that could be quite a controversial yeah controversial thing yeah yeah i agree you know I like agree. in terms of 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 everything that's going on and yeah. and how as you say equality is moving and and rightly so is moving in a lot of areas that it that it should have been moving previously you know to say that girls are going to do food tech but boys you know do um woodwork do, not, yeah, yeah woodwork yeah whatever yeah. right <laughs> that that must have been that must have been a bit of a a bit of a challenge to get around yeah so Logistically, though, to 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 have everybody use this food tech site, it takes transport to get from the boys' school to here. There was no scope, and and basically, what it comes down to is the school had plans in place to build a brand new campus, right? Um, which didn't get planning planning permission for one okay. reason or another. So the whole the whole the whole thing with the inspection was 
we know this and we try to do something about it and we put all of our effort into this joint site, which would have been incredible. The campus looked abs- absolutely amazing. However, yeah. they always we do on do paper, that. don't they? <laughs> they always do on paper, don't they? Yeah, always doing paper. Yeah, exactly. So, so from when it was rejected, the school then have to re reevaluate. Right, how can we address these these issues? So everything that the inspectors challenged us with, the school had already thought thought about. Mm. Um, I mean, it's 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 such a you know, obviously, from my point of view, I went to, well, mixed schools all the way through, so uh, state nursery, uh, state primary, um, state secondary, and, you know, the, the school that I went to um, in, in Bracknell, so the other side of, of Reading in the county, really, the school at that time that I went to was just, that was horrendous. Like, people were actively moving out of the area to kind of get their kids out of the school, and it's obviously it's completely different now, but personally, I loved it. I thought it was great, but all I've ever known is... Um, is mixed, you know, mixed sex schools. Mm. And, you know, I've worked with people that have come from solely single sex schools that have, have from an education point of view. Um, I know like my, my wife went to um, a school in Redden, which is, uh, was originally just a girl's school. And yeah. recently they've, they've started to allow boys. And it was like this huge thing in the community where boys were suddenly welcomed into this kind of originally what was like, um, you know, a convent basically. Uh, so it, it, it's quite interesting that in, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's a good or bad thing. It's just, it's just quite interesting. The fact that in 2023, when we're trying to, you know, kind of bring people together and not have this kind of, uh, you know, gender divide and everything else that, that there are schools like yours that still choose to, um, to educate separately. So I, I guess really like, is there is there opportunities for your pupils to kind of mix together? Is it like, yeah. you know, kind of this kind of horror story where you go, oh my goodness, you're going to go and see the boys or the girls today. And it's like, it becomes a massive thing or is it massive thing. Like so, regular occurrence in terms of mixing? When I, when I first started, probably not, probably didn't mix anywhere near, near enough. However, with um, the head now being responsible for both sites, it may, it makes, makes a massive difference. So every other week, we go to the boys' school for forest school sessions. So, okay. so yeah, every other week they have two hours together with a, with, with a forest school teacher. We've got amazing grounds over there. Um, so that's been a huge positive in the last year, year and a half now. It started September 2021. Um, and, yeah, we love, we love going over there. Um, and they mix there. Most school trips we do boys and girls because our curriculum is now tied together. Um, we go on school trips together. The residential trip that we're doing in, in a couple of weeks' time is boys and girls. Um, okay. So, yeah, there's there's so much more. We do joint music concerts together as well. Um, do you find that when that happens, when you put kind of boys and girls together, the, the behaviour uh, changes, either positively or negatively, or is there is it just kind of consistent because that's, that's the kind of kids that you've got at your school? Um from what we see at Forest School, we again only speaking from a year six point of view because I've not been to the other, other other sessions. There's never been a real a real issue um, yeah. with it. I wouldn't say. Um, and when we first did it, it was like I think the uh, the Forest School teacher used to say it was like a school disco with boys on one side and girls on the other side. So it was kind of a little bit awkward at first. Um, but yeah. Over time. I just imagine it's like, you know, like when you had discos as a kid 
and everyone was like standing on the wall and no one was like mingling or talking mingling, or yeah yeah is it is it kind of one of those environments where they're just like i'm not going or, or do they are they quite happy to kind of engage and um you know respond appropriately and and, and basically just kind of mingle yeah they're much they're much much happier now at doing that at first it was like that kind of divide where like okay who's going to talk first um but now when they're asked to work in a group they're asked to to start a fire they do work really really well together um mm. and they have that mutual mutual respect i would say um so, i mean side point there's there is not enough people doing forest schools right now and there's not enough yeah like that's honestly it's, for me forest schools I, I worked in a school and and forest school was a massive part of what they did yeah. you know what we did at the time and it was just absolutely massive um, if i'm being honest i i wasn't the the most kind of um enthusiastic person when it first started i'm not really an outdoorsy type of person and not one for mud and stuff and actually <laughs> you surprised time, me sir you surprised yeah, me yeah and over <laughs> over over time i've grown to really really enjoy it and the benefits of it from from our school's personal point of view the mixing of the boys and girls has been huge and it is absolutely fantastic. Um, but also the skills they learn, the leadership skills that I see some of the girls the girls develop has been unbelievable. So yeah, I'm I'm a huge, huge ad- advocate of it now. I mean, you, you kind of touched upon it earlier, but you know, just kind of circling back to that, obviously you've you've got the boys and the girls separately. Do you do you find that the the girls under your care in your class you know either either across the school or, or ones that you teach directly do they ever kind of ask you why they're separated from the boys or is it like again really naive but do you just kind of sit there at the start of the year and go remember we're separated because of xyz is it like really obvious why or or are there questions that come up every now and again as to why you know your school has chosen to um to separate boys and girls and not so much from parents because it's not like you know they do all this research spend all this money and they go oh you've you've split the boys and girls up like they're going to know that right but from yeah, the yeah. point of view do they yeah. ever ask you questions about it and is it you know what is the rationale for for kind of separating them basically the pupil the pupils have never once once asked me um okay. why 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 they're separate it's never a thing. It's and it like like you said, it's something their parents buy buy into, so they know they know what they're getting before they do. Um, one thing that has come up when it was announced last week about um um that we the junior girls are moving to the junior boys site. There's obviously been kind of questions from some of the girls oh how's this going to work how's break times and lunch times going to work so that's something as a school that we're going to have have to manage really really carefully because break times and lunch times it's going to be new for all of them having to mix every day together and yeah, sure. the only the only experience that that they've ever had of that was um after the first the first lockdown um so after the may half term year six and reception went went back to school but we went to the boy site just we just opened one one site basically okay. and then by the end of the by the end of the term um the rest of the year groups joined joined us so we had all the boys and all the girls on that site that we're moving to but obviously they couldn't mix because of covid they couldn't really mix together because they had to be kept in their class bubbles and they had to be two meters apart and everything so 
they've kind of had a, had an inkling of of what life is going to be like um but yeah that's something that we have carefully carefully thought about ready for september um yeah. they're basically going to have to be taught how to kind of coexist together really and that's the thing isn't it it's 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 starting all over again i guess really um yeah. and you know yeah. kind of on on that subject of of you know boys and girls splitting everything else one of the, one of the things that that drives me absolutely nuts in in modern teaching um is when people say they need good male role models yeah and my response is always no they don't they just need a good role model good role model yeah yeah, yeah. do yeah. you do you find that you know you being a male in a in in what is essentially a female orientated environment with with the pupils um do, do you find that attitudes towards you are different as a result of that or is it the same or you know do you know what i mean like what what's the kind of the vibe there really i i think from a, pa a parent point of view because i'm i've been teaching 17 years but um obviously i did two years in year five at the beginning of my career and then since then it's been 15 consecutive years in year six which yeah. is quite unique I, I would have thought but but that's the way it's been but i've often heard from from parents because they often get to year six without having had a male teacher so parents are usually extremely positive about it and like you say i've 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 heard that before they need a good male role model i agree with you it's just it's about being a good a good role model really um but Maybe here, being on an all-girls site, they sometimes, I wouldn't say worry about coming into my class, but because I'm I'm a male, got quite a loud voice maybe at times, um, yeah. there is almost, not a fear, but the girls can be a, li a little bit worried about coming in into my class because I'm a male and they haven't had that experience before. Um, yeah. Once they get in, they're absolutely fine and they realise that I'm not the big bad wolf. Um, but that's that's the thing that used to drive me nuts you know I've, obviously i've done my time in year six and you know particularly I, I found it more difficult lower down the school um when i was you know in year three and four they go oh, i haven't had a male yet and, and all this stuff and i'm I thinking what difference does it make yeah you know yeah. like you can't you know, there's obviously things you, you can and can't say and parents will come out with stuff but i used to get quite um offended is that the right word i, I used to get quite upset about it because i was like well do they just assume that every bloke in their life or every every bloke they're going to come off with, like you said is going to be awful and shouty and aggressive and loud yeah. like is that what we're is that the kind of the current presentation of 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 men in society i don't know i mean we could obviously do a separate pod on that altogether, but yeah. it's it's very very difficult when people say that because it, it I would say that that needs to be challenged because, as I said, they just need good good role models. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter whether they're um, whether they identify as as males, females. You know, whether they're gender neutral, whatever. The point is that that, that these children in this current environment and the way the world is just need good role models that are going to go. This is what I expect of you. Be really clear, but you know, this is this is how we're going to kind of grow together, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. I just I just thought I'd ask you that because it's you know I know we've we've talked about it away from this pod but it's 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 always an interesting one to to bring it back to in terms of you know that conversation about you know whether or not it makes a difference um and obviously it doesn't because you're good at what you do you know people you work with are good at what you do so it doesn't matter if they're if they're male or female really so that's that's positive to hear really um and talking the, wrong I, models, in I mean, the, oh, go on mate sorry in in the first school that that 
I worked in, the head teacher was male and we had two other male staff. So that was, that was different. And then, and then coming here on our site in our team until September, I was the only male, male member of staff. Right. Okay. Uh, so obviously all girls school and all female staff. Um, yeah. Was, tough. <laughs> it, it was, no, no, it wasn't tough. It wasn't tough. I've got three older sisters, so kind of, yeah. You're fine with it then. Yeah, you're all good. Yeah, yeah. And, an, and a daughter and a wife as well as a son. A daughter so and a wife as well as a son, yeah. yeah. Um, talking to role models, actually, I don't know if, if, if you've seen it yet. I know you're into football, which we'll, we'll kind of come to in a, in a minute just to close out the show. But um, Mary Earps, who is, uh, if you don't know football, she's the England goalkeeper, current number one, plays for Manchester United. She was, uh, you know, played for Reading for a long period of time. She collected an award last night. At the was it the FIFA Awards? I, I can't remember FIFA what it was. FIFA Awards was it? It's FIFA, yeah, right. Like yeah, yeah. So she's won. She won Player of the Year, Goalkeeper of the Year, or Goalkeeper of the Year, I think. Yeah. And she gave a, a speech. Um, and if if you um, if you haven't shown it, I mean, it, to anyone listening, whether you work in a private school, state school, uh, girls' school, boys' school, whatever. It's, it's well worth, you know, sort of four or five minutes of your time because she talks about um, being, you know, individuals being enough for themselves and that's all that matters. So it's it's well worth a watch. So if you've, you know, if you've got sort of five minutes tomorrow, it's yeah, definitely worth doing that. Yeah, I'll add it to my list of things to do. It's, um, it, it's just, you know, the way that she kind of describes it and, and, you know, that's as I've said, that's what teaching is for me. That's kind of setting that example and... And, and trying to raise aspirations and opportunities for our pupils. Uh, it, it was just really, really good to see. You know, she's great anyway. She's a fantastic goalkeeper, uh, fantastic player, really good person as well. You know, often we, we get sports people that probably aren't the best role models, but she's yeah. absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, Mary Earps, um, best goalkeeper in the world, uh, FIFA Pro Awards in Paris last night. Have a, have a little Google of it and, and show it to class because it was, it was great, really, really was great. Um, the other, the other, the other person. Sorry, to, this is completely going off, off on a tangent a little bit. The other person speaking about inspirational, inspirational speakers. The the best person that I've managed to get into our school was um, Charlie Webster. Goodness me, you are showing off now, aren't you? Yeah, it is a show off, but it was literally by pure chance, and I was really fascinated by her story, especially when she went to the Olympics and contracted malaria and was really poorly um, and almost died, basically. Um, so I just, I don't know, like, something about her story just seemed really inspiring and amazing. So I sent her a message on social media and she got back to me and she kept, she's, she's, she's come into school twice, actually, for two separate year groups and she did a Google Meet with the girls um, during COVID times. And just hearing her story and having someone like that speak to the girls and obviously she's had quite a, a tough a tough upbringing and um, she did a documentary recently about um child, child abuse when when she was um a teenager her athletics coach abused her and a group of girls so there was a documentary on bbc that she did with a group of the girls so she's had a really interesting life um but she was absolutely incredible and getting someone like that into school to speak to the girls i think is something that i won't ever forget and it's something that the girls won't won't ever forget. And that was just pure kind of just chancing my luck, really, with getting her in. But but having having someone like that speak to the girls about the career they've had, about being the first um, football presenter in the Far East, I think it was she said. Yeah, about, 
about going in for interviews, about presenting boxing and being told you can't do that because you're a woman. It's not what women do. And then presenting at the Olympics on boxing with a like big two fingers up to people that turned her down before. Um, yeah, exactly. And then and that's, you know what I'd like, that's I guess from from your age group as well. Like very, you know, as we all know, year six is very impressionable there. Yeah. Again, that point in their life where they they're effectively choosing the sort of paths, really. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having having people like that to to talk at an age appropriate level because obviously some of the stuff she went through is yeah. is horrendous she, and that probably wouldn't she be touched on it in a really really age appropriate way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was in terms of my teaching career. I've never heard anyone speak like she did to the mm. class and and have everybody's attention and um it's brilliant to see she's gone on to do a couple of really successful podcasts and everything um so yeah just no, that's good it's all positive stuff um just to kind of close out this portion of the show in terms of what we've been talking about i'm going to ask you that close question yep. that i stopped myself from from asking uh, earlier on and then i'm going to do that typical sats thing of you give me an answer and then i'm going to tell you why it's the answer <laughs> basically right. so if you um, had the choice, would you go back to state education now? Yes or no? No. Well, you had to think about that, didn't you? Because I was thinking, do you mean... Because it's the key word. That's what I was going to say next. So, yeah, tell us why. Tell, tell you what. So, right now, where where I'm teaching, where I am, the staff that I work with, the the leadership team above me and around me i i have no no reason to leave this school mm. from from the first point of view if there was ever a reason why i why i had to leave leave this school and if my family moved moved away or whatever the first jobs i would look for would be an independent school right you have basically answered that that answer is so much better than the crass question i asked so congratulations on that that's exactly what i was looking for i think it's i think it's really interesting people to hear that though because people i've worked with before have gone yeah i want to leave and all the rest of it but they they always go state school i've heard of very very few people that have gone from state to private do you know what I mean? Like we said yeah. right at the start of the show. So I think that's really, really, you know, what you've said. You know, obviously we've been talking for for an hour and twenty minutes, or an hour and seventeen minutes actually. But I probably could have just, I probably could have just asked you that question right at the start, and we'd be done within five minutes. But um, yeah, look, it's 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 a really, really good answer. Um, but but I'm I'm not I'm not naive enough to think that every independent school is going to be like the one that I work in now, as supportive. And I feel what we offer the girls, apart from the good academic stuff that we offer, our pastoral care, I I can't imagine anywhere takes as much care of their pupils as we do. And I'm sure other schools do. But from my point of view, we couldn't do any more for the girls that come to our our school every day. Um, And that... Again, is is kind of nail on the head. I knew there was a reason I got you on the show. You know, that's <laughs> that's a really important thing because actually it's down to culture, right? Yeah. So you, yeah. you could be, uh, you know, working at a school that is in the most horrendous financial deficit, um, yeah. the worst economically deprived areas you can think of. But actually, if the culture at the school is right, then everything changes. You know, there's that book about the adult changes, everything changes. But like for me in in my experience because i've been teaching you, you 17 and a half of you so i've been doing 15 and a half um it for me it's culture that's all it is yeah. and and, and it's so simple on paper but actually 
if you're at, if you're at a school that goes, this is a direction, this is how we want people to be. This is what we expect of people. This is what we'll do for people. Then you've, you've pretty much got it nailed. And, and I would say when I left the school that I was at for a long period of time, the culture there, there was no reason for me, for me to, to leave. Again, the staff were brilliant. When, when the head teacher changed, maybe there was a shift in culture to, to try and to become an outstanding school. And I think maybe at times the hoops you have to jump through to get to that outstanding school, maybe take away some of the things that you were doing really successfully yeah. before. But I, I think a good leader always protects staff from those hoops. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make those hoops the most important part of the school day, right? yeah so um so yeah um so you so you're a deputy head you you have class uh 50 of the time as we established earlier on uh you've got two young children uh you have a big commute um yeah you know you've got a lot going on so away from teaching how do you how, how do you park that basically how do you um how do you tap into the rest of life basically what what kind of stuff do you do i think i think with with experience, you you learn to prioritise the things that have to be done before the following week, maybe. So, whereas when I was younger, maybe you used to have to do quite a lot of work at the weekend. You, you, yeah. you kind of learn what stuff can be parked. Obviously, having a much smaller class helps with, with the marking load, for example. And then I think having a family, kind of, I leave the house at about seven in the morning. So maybe okay. get a little bit of time with the kids before school. And then don't get home. It 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 depends. Sometimes five o'clock, sometimes six o'clock. So don't get loads of time at the end of the day either. So the weekends, the weekends are obviously focused around family time and not trying not to do work. If I have to do any work, it's on a Sunday night once once they're in bed. So from that from that side of it, kind of the focus has to be family time really. It's, um, it's funny, isn't it? You, you could talk to lots of teachers of our kind of generation that have been doing it for, you know, 14, 15, 16 years, whatever. Um, you know, that sort of came through in the the mid to late 2000s. And actually, I, I was guilty in the first couple of years of, of basically spending all Sunday um, working and just getting stuff ready yeah, and mopping yeah. stuff up for the week. And actually, like, I'm not saying that kids, you know, your own kids to be around because they're really not, but you at some point in your career, you go, hold on a minute. I'm not, I'm not getting any extra money. And it's not about the money, obviously, no. but you're not getting any extra money for working on Sunday. Um, no. It's probably not having any difference on what you do in the classroom at all. No. Um, and, and also like, you, you know, this, this kind of desire to teach the best lesson all the time, be in those days as it was with Ofsted, kind of an outstanding teacher and blah, blah, blah. Like it doesn't actually make any difference. No. <laughs> you know, like no one's going to go, on your headstone or, or write it down and go, there's an outstanding teacher. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So that kind of shift is, is really, really interesting. Um, so kind of away from the kids and the family time, how else do you relax? Like what do you, what do you do um, to go? Yeah, I'm a teacher, but also I do this. I try to run every weekend, Sunday morning, normally get out. Oh, for an hour. Are you going out every weekend at the moment? It's too cold for me. How do you do it in this weather? No, this Sunday was, was quite nice actually. Just a basic run. And yeah. And I was planning on doing 5k. I managed to do 10k and it was just because the weather was nice. Um, and then obviously, as you know, I, support qpr which mm. isn't enjoyable at the moment it adds more stress to my life but um, right how much does football affect your, your overall well-being it's horrendous isn't it so i would say when i first started teaching 
it it had a yeah it did affect me and if QPR lost for example on a Monday I would always wear a black shirt as everybody knew on a Monday <laughs> if QPR QPR lost I'd be in a black shirt and they knew to kind of tread carefully a little bit maybe yeah. um, how's your weekend don't ask don't ask you can see you can see it's black shirt um but I would say again with children obviously priorities in life do change so if this bad run that QPR are on now had happened 10 years ago, I think it really, really would have brought me down because you kind of live for that Saturday yeah. because that is what you work towards. You work towards that weekend, going, going to football, going to all the away games pretty much. So that, that, that affected my happiness a lot more than it does now. And I think my son now comes with me to the home games and it's just, we just have a good day, whatever the result. He's really good, really good company he's really he really enjoys it my mum and dad go as well so it's kind of an excuse to see them at the football too so kind of football is my form of escapism it used to add to the stress I think now it is just a lovely day out with my son and my mum and dad Um, I mean I I hate to admit it but you know our our clubs are very very similar and have been on sort of interchanging trajectories haven't they over the last five six years so and I you know my my similar age my son really he's a little bit older potentially but he um he started coming with me to, to football as well and he absolutely loves it and I think over the last few seasons he's been the one who's kind of driving me on to, <laughs> to still go oh, not that yeah, you ever abandon your football team obviously but like you know he having that kind of shared um shared interest and and it, it puts a different dynamic on it really um yeah, and I, I I guess like being really crude it's kind of like a metaphor for teaching for me as well like there's been times when I've gone do you know what I hate this like I don't want to do it anymore and I've realized actually it's to do with the school or the cultural whatever it's never it's never the kids right it's never the kids it's to do with the way the school's set up and so you move schools and you have a different perspective and you kind of enjoy it again similar sort of thing isn't it really in terms of always the children kind of grounding you in what you do and and showing you a different way to do stuff so yeah that's 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 really positive really um yeah, good stuff. Well, listen, we are pretty much. I was going to go for the the golden one thirty, but we, uh, we think we're just about to be just over that, really. So um, we've kind of missed that target. Um, as always, so good to talk to you, mate. You know, really, really good to kind of come on and, and talk shop with you about you know education and teaching and and kind of what you do. Really, it's um, you know, you're doing a fantastic job, and kind of I know personally how hard you're working, and and obviously I had your your colleague on a couple of weeks ago, and how hard she's working as well. Yeah. So she, um, she was brilliant. She's she's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, she's uh, really good. You know, great chat about PSHE, and if you've not um you're not listened to that, it'll be it's in the back library, I think. On yeah, on it's available. PSHE, so go go and check that out if you want. Uh, got some really good shows coming up this week. Um, we've got a couple of sponsored shows actually. Uh, let me just have a look on the old agenda. Um, using the power of multi technology at the moment what have we got um dun, 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 dun. yes so we have got um oh that's the wrong bit it's, it's all going so well until now hold on hold on hold on i'm in the wrong bit on slack if anyone ever uses slack it's so good but you have to be on the right channel to do it so um yeah it's really really positive what we got so uh a couple of weeks time poppy gibson is uh has got Dr. Robert Morgan to talk about behaviorism. That should be good. Uh, later on this week, we have got Tom Rogers. Or has he done that? It's got the wrong date on it. Don't know. But he was talking about teacher apprenticeships. 
um, and are they a good thing? Uh, we've got Nathan Ginn on uh, this. This one's going to be really interesting. I predict a riot. So if you're into music, you might know what that reference is. But it's, it's called crowd control and group de-escalation schools. And there's also been a lot of stuff in the news at the moment, which we won't dive into with just a few seconds left of the show. But there's been a lot of stuff going on with certainly with secondary schools across the country about sort of almost small scale riots, really. Um, so he'll be he'll be diving into that one. Um, and then we've, we've just, yeah, just got loads of good shows, really. It's kind of last week or the week before was was a little bit quiet because it had been half-time for some people, but it's kind of picking up again, really. So always something to, to listen to on, on Teachers Talk Radio. And as I said, if you ever miss any of these, you can always get them back uh, from our Podbean account or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast from. Um, Jawad, thank you so much for, for coming on. Hope you have a good rest of your week. Thank you. Good luck with the performance. Hope it goes well. Yeah. Yeah, it will be brilliant. The girls have worked so hard on it. So You haven't you haven't got a walk on roll, have you? Nope. I'm I'm kind of moving the set around when it mm. needs to be changed. Is that because you're not trusted to like direct people and stuff or? Yeah, I'm not good enough. Our our music and drama teacher um is much better than me. So And, and they're worth their weight in gold, right? Any special they, really they are yeah, it really is, really, really is, yeah. One hundred percent. Well, listen, enjoy it. Have a good rest of the week. Yes. Um, good luck at the weekend as well. Who are you playing on the weekend? Rotherham, big six-pointer. Oh, that's a massive one. It's a big one, I know. I know. That is huge. We go to we go to Middlesbrough away, so I think we're going to lose that one somehow. That one. Yeah. Um, yeah, have a good one. Uh, thank you so much, mate. I will uh, I will see you soon. Yes, um, And for my, I say my regulars, there's, there's probably about two of them out there, but I will be back, not next week, but the week after. Um, can't do next Tuesday, so I'm back in on the 14th i believe i've got my uh numbers right got a curriculum lead talking about maths and english uh in a state school we're going to go back to state schools but just talking about the demands and the, and the expectations around that really so yeah have a good uh week everybody uh enjoy the rest of your working week i don't think anyone else is on half term now um and it's uh yeah it's um it's nearly spring nearly proper spring hopefully and the, the warm weather will come uh thanks for listening as always And I will see you in a couple of weeks. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. This show is 